0: Welcome to Journey Again. My name is Randy. It's good to have you with us. And I want to thank Rhonda for coming uh, from Assurance to share with us very much. A few weeks ago, I got a, a mailer telling us all the, the uh, well, the summary of 2018. And I thought, we have simply got to communicate this. We got to get uh, a representative to come in and talk about that. Uh, but uh, when I read that, uh, 1,273 uh, 1, visits uh, with men and women, 145 projected lives saved. Uh, from abortion. Three people accepted Christ in the middle of their crisis and through this situation. I mean, that is some powerful stuff that we are proud to be a partner with you, and and thank you so much for that. Uh, When you guys give, it goes to ministries just like this that help other people. Um, You know, it's timely as well because if you follow the news, if you uh, keep up with that, you know that abortion is back in the news a lot. In fact, it has been. And from time to time since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was legalized abortion on demand and the justification at that point was that there was no way to know when life began in the womb obviously science and technology have progressed down through the years and if you uh, have even tried to click you have probably seen uh, an incredible um, uh, ultrasound of a baby or some other test of a live human being that responds to uh, the mother's voice and the pain and everything else so Uh, There's no doubt whatsoever, Uh, but the sad thing is that even in our world, abortion continues to kill. Uh, Over 61 million lives have been lost since 1973, 61 million, just hard to fathom. And today you probably, again, if you watch the news, you know there's an abortion extremism out there that is promoting abortion up to the moment of birth, literally, and that is not an exaggeration and even a proposal by some that after birth abortion should be legal or should be considered as well. And so uh, thankfully, though, throughout our nation, I believe there is a turning, a steering of, of hearts that is shifting the opinion away from abortion, the public opinion, and, and our prayers that one day this, this travesty will be dealt with. And so I just want to say up front, we, we don't talk about this a ton, but we stand unashamedly for life, uh, for all life, unborn life, and lives of people who are, uh, who are, whatever their circumstances may be, we also stand for compassion, for love, for ministry, forgiveness, and healing for those who've experienced uh, the trauma of abortion. And we're thankful again for assurance and being able to partner, be our our hands and feet in doing that. You know, and the kind of timely as well in our subject, we've kind of uh, brought this together because today we're going to be talking uh, about life and about birth. And I believe that life is a gift from God. Uh, physical life, physical birth, and spiritual life, spiritual birth as well. Both of them are miracles. Uh, I will remind you, I I don't want to do this too often, but we do have a new grandbaby. Um, And um, so not so far removed just a few months ago, uh, we got a chance to share in that. And uh, our hearts are full. In fact, as soon as we can get away today, we're going to go see her, uh, get our Sophie fix uh, for the month, and we're going to run up and and check her out. But uh, So this is a subject that's near... And dear to our hearts and we're going to talk about that because you see there's an amazing connection between physical birth and spiritual birth that brings us into Jesus Christ there's a a connection there that we want to talk about and we're going to be studying today from the book of John Uh, we've been there for a few weeks now talking about John Jesus the untold story as told by John and we're going to be in John chapter 3 and if that sounds familiar to you it is because that is the home of the most well-known verse in the Bible, more than likely. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we'll come back to that in a few moments, but that's kind of where we're going to end up this morning. And so in this series, is we've tried to learn about who Jesus, not just what Jesus did, but who Jesus really was this today is really going to fill in the blank and connect the dots for you So I'm, I'm really glad you're here today. So let's jump into John chapter 3 beginning with verse 1 Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council He came to Jesus at night and said rabbi We know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him Jesus replied "Verily, truly. I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God Unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Yea, very truly I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I want to tell you, this is probably one of the most uh, well-known, interesting, and confusing conversations in the Bible, to be honest with you. He, Jesus is throwing out some things here that are, just don't make a lot of sense to us in our logical mindset. And so to kind of understand it, we got to know who he's talking to and then what he's talking about. So we're going to begin by asking the question, who in the world was Nicodemus? Because this is the first time the name ever comes up. As we study here, we see that Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader. He was a part of a group called the Pharisees. And every now and then we we'd throw that name out, and that may not mean a lot to you, but a Pharisee was someone who was a part of a very devout, a very religious sect of the Jewish people. In fact, the word Pharisee means to separate, and so that's what they would do. They literally would separate themselves from everybody else for two reasons. Number one, they they really wanted to be holy, but number two, we know the arrogance. Uh, They thought they were better than everybody else for the most part. So they separated from the rest of the Jews. They knew the law, and they were religious zealots. I mean, almost like Nazis to the point of being very legalistic and very abusive with the law. The law was given to guide people and to direct them, but I mean they used it like a whip to to beat people with. So they they were just really extreme in that. Nicodemus was one of these uh, members of the Pharisee group, but he was also a leader as well, a leader among the Jewish, a member of the group called the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was a, a, a group of about 71 men, and they governed the Jewish nation. They had been set up Uh, during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament seemingly to kind of oversee the Jewish nation when they were struggling, didn't have a strong king. And so this Sanhedrin, uh, they had some authority that was given to them, uh, not by God but by the Romans because they had an uneasy relationship with the Roman nation. Remember the Romans were over the Jews, but they kept peace among this group of people by allowing the Sanhedrin to kind of uh, lead them and uh, to keep a reign on them. And, and they had their, uh, the Sanhedrin actually had their own police force, they had some sort of a government, uh, they could uh, arrest people, they could try people, but as we know later on in the story of Jesus, they could not condemn someone to death, and they had to let the Romans do that. But this connection led to a lot of unholy alliances between the Sanhedrin and uh, the, the Roman people, and there was a lot of corruption in the highest level of the, of the Jewish government. But not all of them were like that. Not all of them are corrupt because there was at least one, this man, Nicodemus, who was committed to holiness, he was committed to genuine pursuing a relationship with God. And we see that because of his actions and the fact that he sought out Jesus. When he heard about Jesus and more than likely had even heard Jesus speak because his ministry was public at the time, Nicodemus really wanted to meet Jesus. But, but keep in mind that Jesus was extremely controversial in that day. And Nicodemus did not want to upset the place where he was in his career. You know, isn't that true sometimes? We're very protective of the things that mean a lot to us. And and we don't know all of his true motives. We know that Nicodemus was in a good place to help Jesus or at least speak up for Jesus at times. But he also was in a place where if he had been found to be a follower of Jesus, he probably would have been kicked out of the Sanhedrin and his career would be over. And so he chose Because of peer pressure or perhaps because of of timing, we don't know. But he came to go see Jesus at night. Here's another thing that's interesting. Nicodemus was supposed to be a great teacher himself. But Jesus, you know, he he knew that he was nothing compared to Jesus. And and what he heard Jesus say and do, he he was intrigued. And so he went to, to talk to him. And it happened to be a night visit, which was unusual in that day. Here's what he said when he got there. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. You see, he had observed even then the signs and miracles and teachings of Jesus, and he knew that none of them, none of the Sanhedrin had that kind of giftedness or that kind of power. And so in humility, I think he came at night humbly to talk to Jesus and find out why. And Jesus replied to him, as we read, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It's It's like he just, you know, jumps in on a topic that Nicodemus wasn't expecting, and we're not expecting. You know, he didn't uh, bring up birth or new life or anything. He's like, how can this, how can this, you know, where's this coming from? How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus tries to reason? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You know, we've probably all heard that term in our life. And if you're my age, uh, you've heard it probably used in a negative way. The term born again, uh, it's been hijacked, I believe, down through time and viewed negatively, sometimes by religious weirdos in some ways. But, but it's a really cool word. And I don't want us to throw that word away. We got to recapture uh, that word and or that, uh, that, that phrase, because it's a great one. And it's a really great word picture when you think about what it means to be born again. There's a, a lot of freshness that comes in that. And you know what, we can all identify with it as well, because we know about the miracle of birth. How do we know? Because we all have been through it, right? If you're here, obviously you were born at some point, you don't remember that, but you probably have had some experience with your own children or or people you care about. And you know that birth is a very natural, but it's a beautiful thing. And the reason it's so special is because only God can give that to you. God is the one who gave you life at your conception. Now, I'm not going to go any further back than that. You can figure that out on your own. But the reality is if, you, if you're alive, you have life, and God gave you life. And here's the thing, and this is what Rhonda, they work with every day. Even if the circumstances were not the best. That life is precious, and God has given that life, and God doesn't make mistakes when it comes to something, I believe, that's so precious as life. You spent nine months or so alive and developing as a preborn human being, and then you made your interest into the world. You were very much alive because God gave life at conception, and God allowed you to be born and brought into the world. And so we understand the idea of physical birth, right? It's very natural, but Jesus said in a similar way, there is a second birth that we need to experience we must experience to enter the kingdom of heaven and you know what it struck nicodemus obviously he had not done so because he had no idea what this was he had never even heard of this now for a moment i want you to think about who jesus was even talking to here because it's pretty significant of what he's saying and the implication that he's making nicodemus was a fine upstanding member not just a member but a leader of the first church of Jerusalem. He was a religious man. He was a very good moral man. I mean, the Pharisees knew all the law. They had identified uh, about uh, 248 commandments. You must do this. They had identified 365 prohibitions. You can't do this. One for every day of the year, by the way. And then they had added 1,500 additional laws that they thought should be in there. But they weren't. God missed them. And so they had developed over 2,100 laws and prohibitions, and they vowed to keep every one of them. Very, very moral people. Very legalistic, too. For example, they wouldn't even look at a woman, wouldn't even look her in the eye. They would be afraid they might lust after her if they did so. And so they were good, moral people. And, you know, obviously living a good, moral life is what God wants from us. We have the Ten Commandments we have other commandments you know that we're called to obey those things are not insignificant that's important but following a list of do's and don'ts is not what's going to get us into the kingdom of heaven It's not what's going to save us goodness is is great but it's not enough even if you were the best person probably Nicodemus you know he's probably one of the best people who ever lived just in and of himself and I will tell you what another thing that doesn't get us in is just believing in God Because while Nicodemus was a good moral person, which, by the way, I think you can be without knowing God, obviously, we know those people, but he also was a great believer in God, and he was really trying to please God. In fact, I think most of the Pharisees started out really trying to please God before they got derailed on their own goodness and their own morality, But, but he was really trying, and he was better than most. He was a scholar, a teacher, a leader. He knew the Bible inside and out. He had large portions of Scripture memorized. And so you look at his life and you would say, man, he is good to go. I want to be like Nicodemus. All of us should long to be good people with great hearts. But Jesus said, you know what, none of that is enough. He didn't surprise Nicodemus. You know, occasionally people went to Jesus like a rich young ruler, I think, and really thought when they talked to Jesus, he was going to pat them on the back and tell them what a good person they were. He was going to commend them and brag and maybe use them as an example, but he didn't even do that with Nicodemus as good as he was. What he said is, that doesn't count because you must be born again. You must be born again. Just like you have experienced a physical birth to be alive physically, you must experience a spiritual birth to be alive spiritually. And like only God can give you physical life, only God can give you spiritual life as well. Nothing that you can do. And spiritual life means that you enter into a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ that gives you life-breathing power and strength and blessing every day. It changes our position because we are once outside of Christ. We are now in Christ. It changes our condition because we once were lost and now we're saved. And it changes our eternity. It changes everything. We are reborn. We literally are born again, and that's why it, it's a great word that we should never, ever throw away. Now Nicodemus is blown away by this, and, and he, you know, he, he's trying to grasp this idea because he thought he was doing everything he should do. Maybe he was just trying to add some things to his abilities or his knowledge, and now Jesus is turning his world upside down by saying you can't do it yourself. You have to surrender. You have to die to yourself, and you have to be born a new in Christ. And so he asked him, how is this possible? How can this be done? And Jesus said, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone believe, who believes may have eternal life in him. And so Jesus positions himself as the only one who is the giver of life, the only way to the Father, the only one that we can find life in. We die to self and we are born into Christ. And then that brings us to the most famous verse in the Bible that bears repeating again, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you know, I love those verses. Why? Because this is the core of the gospel. This is the core of the gospel. You know, when we ask people, do you know the Bible, they, they'll say, yeah, I grew up in the church and I know about Noah and Abraham and Moses and all the stories, you know, and I've read about, you know, everybody loves Isaiah, you know, uh, rise up on wings like eagles. We, we know all, you know, great parts of the Bible, but this is where it really matters. In fact, everything in the Bible focuses on the core of the gospel, which is right here about what Jesus offers to us. And so I want to boil it down to about four basic points for you this morning, what the gospel is all about. Number one, that God loved the world. God loved the world, not just the world that he had made, not just that sphere we see that, you know, blue and and, uh, yellow, whatever it looks like from space, but he loves the people in it. As unlovely as we are at times, God loves us. He loves you and he loves me, everyone who ever lived. He loves us. And then secondly, God gave his son... Because he loved us, he gave his son Jesus. Love demands a response, and so God gave Jesus to come as an example or as a, a proof of his love and as a way for us to experience his love and respond to him. He gave up his only son to die for the world. I've told you this before. I have one son. I don't get to see him very often. He lives in another country. But I no way would give up my son for any of you here <laughs> or all of you here. As far as that goes, for everybody who ever lived on the earth, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it. Would you? Would you let your son die for people that you know, number one, might not appreciate it, but number two, that aren't worthy of his life? None of us would. But that's what Jesus did for us. He voluntarily came. God sent his son to the world, born of a woman, both God and, and man. He lived a perfect life. And then he voluntarily gave his life up on the cross as a sacrifice. Amen. He was taken by his enemies, but he went his enemies, but he went willingly. He did that because he was the only one who could pay for, his, for the sins of the whole world. Amen. God and man. And, and the reason we need that is because our sin breaks the relationship that we have with God. You know, when we're a child, the Bible says that we were innocent and we don't have any sins at all. But we come to a place in our life where we know what sin is, and we know we choose to sin, and then we're accountable for that. Amen. And that has shattered the relationship, and only Jesus can build the bridge to bring us back to God and, and reconnect us to our Heavenly Father and to get us into the kingdom of God. And that process requires a change of the heart and of the life, actions, and mind, and spirit. You see, God is a just God, and God knew that, that brokenness <laughs> would not repair itself and no one else could and so God chose to send his son to come in to the world and do that for us and Jesus died so we could be forgiven and go to heaven when we die Amen. and that ought to give us some amazing peace Amen. thirdly God did this so that everyone would believe God both made a way through giving his son but he also expressed his love by giving his son and he did that so that is what John three sixteen so that people would see the amount of his love, you see god's offer to us is so compelling that we would not want to refuse it who could refuse an offer like that what better way to convince us that he loves us and he wants a relationship with us than to give his son to make it possible i mean that's pretty convincing and compelling no matter who you are and he wants us to believe not just that he did that but more importantly to believe in Christ, in Christ, and then to follow him. True belief is more than just knowing the facts. It is giving your life over to what you say you believe. That's what true belief is all about, to a cause, a purpose that you believe in. Belief originates in the heart, but it's expressed in your actions and an increasing transformed life as you conform to what you say you believe. And here's what I've discovered is that a lot of people believe in God. A lot of, in fact, most people do. I've heard the figure 85% of Americans believe in God. I think that may be true, maybe more, even more than that. But the reality is, if you don't act on what you believe, you don't really believe. Now, I've used this before, and I never want to scare people, but let's just say, from my viewpoint, I can look into the lobby, and I can see a fire. Now, there is no fire, number one, because there is no fire. But number two, there's nothing there to burn. There's concrete and drywall and metal studs, so it, it ain't going to happen, so don't be alarmed. But let's just say, for, for example, that I looked out there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's a fire out there. And I don't want to start a stampede, so I just say to you, listen, be calm. But I see a fire out in the lobby, and I think we all need to stand up calmly. We have exits over here. Just make your way, gather your kids, and we'll go outside. Now, that would be a warning that I could give to you, and I hope you trust me and you feel you can believe me. But if you did, you would not just sit there and go, what's next? You know, you would hopefully calmly get up and make our way outside. You would respond because if you believe me, it's going to cost you some action. And there's so many people who who say they believe in God, and they probably believe there is a God, and they believe what God says, but there they stop. Because when God says there is danger of eternal fire, and we don't act to avoid that, then we don't really believe in God. That's just the bottom line. Because belief always demands some action. And number four, those who believe and act on their belief will have eternal life. And this is the spiritual life that that we begin in Christ. And that we live here on the earth and will carry us forward into eternity. And it will give us great peace in knowing that. You know, this week was a little bit unusual. There's a lot of sickness obviously going on. Uh, A little unusual in that today, uh, this week, I had two conversations with, with elderly men. And they just happened to be 187 and one almost 91. So they've lived some life. You know, they've seen some stuff. And both of them lived pretty rough lives at some point, but they gave their life to the Lord. And both of them are facing death soon. Uh, both are, have been uh, uh, told that they're they're terminal. But you know what? As I was able to talk to those guys, and we laughed a little bit, you know, even in spite of the challenge and and we talked about what really matters in life and, and where their lives are now. Both of them, I was able to give them peace and encouragement and comfort and, and pray with them and just help them to see, you know what, there's a better life on the other side of this. And that we all long for that because all, every, all of us are going to be at that place some point in our life. I mean, we don't have to be 91 years old for it to happen. It can happen a lot. People younger than me die every day the reality and so the reality is that we need to prepare for that and respond through our belief and we'll give you a chance to do that in just a few moments but before you do that let's ask the question whatever happened to Nicodemus don't you don't you want to know what I don't like is these stories that just leave us hanging you know any of them I was like what happened what did he do? Because it just stops there and then we go off into John 3.16 and, and uh, we get kind of you know, taken away by that. But what happened? We don't know for sure. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus, you know. but there's some hints. Later on, one day when Jesus was being questioned pretty severely by the Sanhedrin, guess who was there? Nicodemus. And he stood up for him and he said, I don't think it's our practice to condemn people without judging them, is it? And I just threw that comment in. And, uh, you know, Jesus kind of walked away from that, but, uh, uh, but Nicodemus stood up for him. And, uh, and then later on, at his crucifixion, and after it, Nicodemus went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And he and a friend, Joseph, Arimathea took the body of Christ off the cross. Now, you say, well, that was a kind thing to do, like a good moral man would do, right? No, it was probably more than that, because emotions were high, Almost all of Jesus' other followers had abandoned him. They were gone. But Nicodemus stepped up to Pilate, the highest authority, and said, I'd like to take the body of Jesus. And I'm sure everybody knew what that meant, that he was a follower. A lot of people say that Nicodemus' political career probably stopped right there. That was the end of it. But I think he was fine with that because he wasn't meeting Christ at night anymore. He was living boldly for him in the light of day. And I think it was safe to say that Nicodemus had been born again. By the way, here's an interesting thing. All of the mention of Nicodemus in the Bible is in the book of John. John thought it was pretty important to recognize this man of faith. And so today, as we kind of wrap up things <laughs> and, uh, and kind of wrap up this story, I want to I give you a chance to respond like Nicodemus. <laughs> I want to give you a, re- a chance to respond to the gospel if you have not done so. You know, maybe you're here today, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you're a lot like him. You're, you're a good person. You believe in God. Something drove you here this morning. You, you try to do what's right. But you know in your heart that things are not totally right with him. And maybe you know, as we've talked about this conversation, maybe you say, what's been missing is I haven't been born again. And I haven't truly come into a living, true relationship with God through Christ Maybe it's something that you've sought down through the years. Maybe it's something you've never heard of before or you've been afraid to do it. But I want to encourage you this morning to be bold and take a deep breath and let go. Let go of your own pride and your independence. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to just ask everyone because we know there are folks in the room who have never done this. But I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your heads together as we, as we finish up. And that whole coming to the Lord and acknowledging him begins with faith faith that we believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and acknowledging that you are a sinner and in need of god that the old you as good as you are is not good enough that all your goodness is is just uh, self-promoting unless you give the glory to god and you need more and you want to turn from living a self-lived life to living a christ-lived life which is repentance, and that you want to be forgiven of your sins, a new slate, a new start, that today you're surrendering to him and you want him to call the shots in your life. You're dying to yourself and you're seeking new life, a new beginning in Jesus Christ. You want to be born again. You want to ask him to come into your life and give you new life, that you're willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And as a response to that, you're going to be obedient in baptism if you haven't done so for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the, or the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, baptism is such a beautiful way of us to see the picture of new birth, a new beginning. As we die to ourselves, we're buried in the water and we're raised in a new life, a new beginning. We are truly born again And so this morning, as we wrap up, will you just pray with me? Father, as we come humbly today, we admit that our goodness is just nothing compared to your greatness. God, we are humble enough to acknowledge, be submissive to to you, that God, you are the only one that can save us, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And Lord, we're so grateful for the scripture that we've read today and we're glad that Nicodemus asked the question and we get to benefit from the answer. That Lord, uh, and be, re- be reminded of your incredible love, of the good news of the gospel, that no longer do we have to rely on our goodness, that no longer do we have to try to do enough good to overcome the bad, we don't have to hope, we don't have to just wish that we can have this assurance of life in Jesus Christ. And Lord... My prayer, if there's anyone here this morning who has not made that decision, not come to the moment in life where they've made a surrender of self to follow Christ, that today would be the day they would not even leave this building, Lord, before they were willing to make that confession of, of Christ. Lord, I pray that uh, as we come to understand what you expect from us, that, Lord, we would just run to you in humility, but also in confidence and in peace. Lord, I pray that you would spark us to take the next step on our journey, whether it be to respond to belief, repent of our sins, to confess Christ, to be baptized, to take a deeper stand, a deeper walk. God, we know that from that day forward, Nicodemus wasn't just a a moderate Christian. He was sold out. Lord, help us to be sold out to you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. God, we do that in just a moment as we share in this time of communion. Father, we take this cup, this piece of bread that reminds us specifically of the moment of sacrifice on the cross. Jesus' blood was shed and his body was broken for us, Lord. Father, direct our thoughts. Help us submit ourselves come fully to you through our time of partaking together i ask these things in christ's name amen